Welcome to the eighth episode of the Gravescast. Uh, I'm back again, as you know. I'm your host, uh, Nick Graves, and this week we have someone who's been highly anticipated for the past month. She is the CEO, writer, and owner of the Green Bead Food Blog. Uh, apparently, a very dedicated Swifty and a marketing extraordinaire. Uh, we're welcoming today Rebecca Pottage. How are you doing today, Rebecca? Good. Thanks for having me. No worries. So your claim to fame, at least as I see it, and I think some other people see it, is the Green Bean Food Blog, which you started a few years ago, right? Yep, that's right. Care to uh, kind of explain what you do, kind of the process, the rationale, what it's all about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I have a food account on Instagram. It's called the Green Bean underscore food blog, and I just pretty much just post um, pictures of food and uh, nutritional information um, and then some sustainability info as well about being vegetarian. Um, it started a few years ago um, because in first year university I lost a lot of weight and I was really happy about that and I felt like I had a lot to share about weight loss and food and nutrition. Um, so that's like kind of why I started the food account in the first place but since then it's grown to be so much more than that. Like it's a place for me to be creative, for me to learn and to be part of this really incredible like food community. Yeah. And uh, what kind of developments have you seen over the past uh, couple of years then? Cause you said that it's kind of taken a little more of a new direction ever since uh, university, right? Yeah. So it's just been me learning like and gaining new perspectives from other people who do similar things on Instagram and uh, learning about diet culture and things like that. Like, I've kind of just gained a lot of different perspectives than I initially had when I first started. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's probably a pretty positive thing, right? Like, it sounds like you're not only creating content, but as you're creating the content, you're learning yourself and putting it out for other people to kind of learn with you, right? Yeah, exactly. So would you say it's almost kind of like a dual-sided journey between you and uh, your followers then? Yes, for sure. Definitely. That's a great way to describe it. Hey, it creates a lot of re relatability for sure as well. So now, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know you already know, but for the viewers, we're kind of going to be going through uh, quite a few topics today in regards to kind of uh, our diets, um, our rationale, kind of veganism as a whole. Uh, we're going to go through a bit of weight loss and some sustainability as well. So just kind of start us off. We're going to go through our own diets. Uh, do you want to start us off then and kind of talk about what you're doing, at least right now? Yeah, so I'm vegetarian. Um, I would love to go vegan one day, but I'm just not there yet. Um, but I'm vegetarian for three reasons, for the environment, for the animals, and for my health. Um, so in terms of the environment, like... Going vegetarian or going vegan is one of the best ways an individual can help fight climate change. So that's why I'm doing it. And uh, then the animal part, that's pretty obvious. Like, there's a lot of animal cruelty in the industrial farming industry. And, I'm, you know, that's sad. Um, and then for my health, being vegetarian or vegan is often healthier than, you know, a meat-based diet. Like, not always, but often because you're cutting out red meat and stuff like that. 
And a cool fact, cool statistic I learned is that going plant-based, we can save up to $1 trillion in annual healthcare expenses. Oh my gosh. I can't say I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I learned it while I was researching for this podcast, so that's wild. Hey, you know what? I appreciate it as well. Um, as for myself, I don't really attend to a very specific diet. Um, pretty much all my life, I've been more of a... I, I, I guess I started off more as a picky eater. Um, I pretty much ate a lot of stuff, but, you know, it was very specific. So, you know, the burgers I had couldn't, like, have little, you know, fatty parts on it or... You know, stuff like that, right? Like, it'd be very particular. Like, it had to be chicken breast, couldn't be chicken leg, couldn't be chicken uh, wings or anything like that. So over time, my diet and, I guess, can we say diet portfolio <laughs> has been uh, kind of expanded. And I pretty much tend to stick with uh, more vegan options nowadays. I uh, found a lot of uh, enjoyment in stuff like tempeh or um, tofu, uh, kind of the vegan substance as well, like the Beyond Meats and stuff like that. And uh, outside of that, I pretty much just stick with chicken breast when it goes to kind of more of the meaty side. And honestly, I haven't really eaten beef since I think like the fourth grade. So uh, at this point, I'm pretty much vegan. Uh, I've got allergies to milk and egg, so that kind of contributes and makes it uh, pretty darn hard not to, you know, go vegan, at least on that side. So I wouldn't say, you know, it's I live to any type of regiment, just kind of my preference, right? When it comes to taste, when it comes to, you know, of course, accommodate my allergies, and that's pretty much about it. Now, yeah, that's really interesting. Do you have any like recommendations when it comes to meals? Because I think a lot of people, their uh, issue with going to more of a vegetarian or a vegan diet is what do I eat, right? Like, I think in North America here, we tend to really center our meals around whatever protein it is, right? So, you'll have meatloaf with veggies on the sides, or you know, chicken breast with whatever, right? Yeah, that's a really great question. Honestly, I don't even know how to answer that or what kind of recommendations to give. Like, just start slow, start small, you know, buy craft dinner and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's certainly a way of doing it. I think for myself, I think a lot of people really need to uh, kind of see the value in stuff like tempeh. Because I know tempeh is pretty much... I think sometimes talked about when it comes to, you know, like all the alternatives, like I think tofu and tempeh is pretty synonymous with each other, but I don't think people fully understand kind of the capabilities that it has. Like everyone knows you can throw like tofu and uh, tempeh and stir fry and stuff like that. But some other stuff is you can do kind of like a tempeh burger. Uh, my sister actually made a wonderful tempeh dish for a food challenge where it was like buffalo sauce roasted tempeh or something just kind of in strips and it was fantastic wow yeah i mean it really does help kind of uh circumvent the idea that you know you're not really eating meat anymore right and getting uh more of the same taste right yeah and honestly you can make tofu taste like anything it tastes like nothing on its own so you add seasoning sauce whatever and turn it into whatever kind of meat you want it to be like it's awesome what's your favorite way of uh preparing tempeh or not tempeh tofu um, I kind of only prepare it one way. I just like dry fry it in the frying pan and then like add seasoning and like spices and stuff. I'm kind of lame. So yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't call it lame. I just think, you know, what works is what works, right? Yeah, I got to branch out, try some new things. I just haven't gotten there yet. Hey, man, you know, it is what it is. But 
I think uh, something a lot of people overlook is a lot of people tend to marinate tofu and tempeh. I think that takes way too damn long. Like you're looking at, you know, I think a lot of people tend to do it overnight or, you know, at least like two hours or something. For me, I just think it's probably best to make a little more of the sauce and kind of uh, dump it in and have it almost boil into the uh, tempeh in a pan or tofu in a pan, I suppose. So really like, I think people really need to consider that option, but teach their own, I suppose, right? Yeah, Nick, you need to tell me how to make tempeh taste good because it <laughs> kind of sucks sometimes. Okay, okay. Didn't, didn't you try it by itself? Like, I grilled it and I put seasoning on it. Like, what do you do? Gosh, that's that's literally the equivalent of eating tofu plain, which I've done. Okay. And people tend to judge me for, but... <laughs> Give me the tips. Look, honestly, my favorite is just... I sit there and I take the tofu, or sorry, the tempeh. I cut it up into little pieces. I throw, uh, I throw it in a mix of... I think it's about 50 mil, milliliters of um, soy sauce. I probably overdo the portions on this, but I tend to do two teaspoons of ginger, two teaspoons of um, garlic, just garlic powder uh, if you have it, or I guess fresh garlic also works. And then just fill up the, uh, uh, what is it, the measuring cup with um, probably about 200 milliliters of water. You dump that all into a pan. You put your uh, bits of tofu on top of that. And then you pretty much have it simmer in a pan for about 20 minutes. And then really it tastes like any type of, uh, you know, kind of uh, Asian tofu that you get at any restaurant. It tastes fantastic. That's my way of doing it. Uh, I've also done some in like sweet and sour sauce and stuff like that. It's really the possibilities are endless. Okay, interesting. Um, maybe I'm going to have to get you to write that down and we can put it on the blog. Hey, you know what? Mix maybe tempeh. <laughs> I think honestly, it's you, you can find the recipe anywhere. I mean, there's a lot of people that like to also do it with a uh, peanut sauce as well, which uh, not looking at dye anytime soon, so won't be trying that. But if you're interested in that, I'd recommend yeah. it. Yeah, sounds good. Now, you also, being a vegetarian, there's obviously a lot of different uh, walks of life and different perspectives when it comes to that. And I guess as a whole, vegetarianism tends to be more of a black and white thing. Like you either, you know, eat animals or you don't. If you go vegan, you're, you know, either eating animals, drinking milk, eating eggs, or you're not doing that. But you tend to take more of a gray perspective on that. Care to explain yeah. what veggie cheat days are? Yeah. So about like two or three times a year, I'll have a veggie cheat day, which is where like, you know, I'll cheat and I'll have meat usually like chicken wings because they love chicken wings um and my perspective on like the why is just it's fun i like chicken so sometimes i want to have it and um you know i'm not perfect and i'm not expecting anyone else to be either so do you feel like it's i i mean does that encompass vegetarianism then because i think as a whole, most people take the rigid definition as you can't consume it whatsoever, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly vegetarian. It's only two or three times a year. Like, other than that, I never eat meat, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think in general, it just kind of shows that perspective of like, you know, I, I think a lot of the opinion there is, you know, you're either 
going the full way or you're not. And in that, I mean, they don't acknowledge kind of your perspective there, right? Because by doing this, you pretty much reap a lot of the benefits, right? Like two to three times a year, that's not even a drop in the bucket. So you probably, maybe you lack like what, 2% of, you know, a full vegetarian diet or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And honestly, it's like, it's daunting to be like, I'm going to go full on vegetarian. Like, it's easier to be like, uh, I'm going to go mostly vegetarian. Oh, of course. It's, I mean, in, in that way, you don't hold yourself to such a standard, right? And if anything, I know it's uh, definitely advantageous to kind of reaffirm your position through um, kind of weak reinforcers. So, you know, by having the chicken wings or whatever, you know, you prefer to have on those cheat days, I guess in a way you kind of reinforce your own perspective and you make it easier to say, well, you know what, I can still have this again, right? Versus I will never in my life eat chicken wings in the next 80 years or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. So I, I think it's beneficial. Um, and honestly, like, I think, you know, maybe some advocacy in that direction might be beneficial as well. Cause I don't know. I, I can't say I've talked to a lot of people that kind of think the same way about you, like in the same way. Right. Yeah. Whenever I post like a cheat day on my Instagram story or something, I always get somebody like sending me a sad face or something in my DMS. And I'm like, okay. Now the question, alone. question is, how do you respond? Do you send like a happy devil face back? No, I usually don't respond. Ah, darn. You, you, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta show them what's up. You gotta fight back. No. If anything, isn't it a opportunity for re-education? I guess so. I just, I don't really like conflict, so. <laughs> you know what? I, I agree with you. I think it's always best to avoid conflict wherever possible. So, <laughs> maybe you have the right way of going about that. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Now, you did talk about, um, what was it, the idea that um, it's not very black and white when it comes to the veggie cheat days and everything, right? Yeah. So I think something that really goes into is the idea of weight loss, where, like, I well, I don't think it's as common as uh, veganism to just go black and white, but uh, with weight loss, there's a lot of different dimensions and a lot of different ways that people go about it, right? Yeah. So how you, you said you kind of had your own little weight loss journey within university and how it made you feel great and everything and how it kind of led to this passion of uh, sustainability, food blogging and stuff like that. So what was kind of the incentive for you to lose weight? Uh, just really explain the process for me. Yeah. Um, so in high school, I just I didn't really like my body, didn't have a good relationship with food. I didn't eat very well. I just, I wanted to lose weight and I tried, you know, dieting sort of. I tried counting calories, things like that, and nothing really worked for me. Um, and then in first year university, I was in a whole new situation, a whole new environment because I was away from home for the first time. And I was like so obsessed with the fear of that like freshman 15. I did not want to gain 15 pounds. I was like not happening. Um, and so. I ended up being really restrictive with my diet. Um, I had a lot of like food rules, like don't eat this, don't eat that. Um, and I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I, looking back on that time, it was so unhealthy, like what I was doing to myself, like I would go to bed hungry all the time. And then I would wake up in the morning and feel like I was gonna vomit because I hadn't eaten in so many hours. And 
at the time, I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I'm great. I lost so much weight. And I would go home for Christmas. My parents would be like, wow, Rebecca, you look so good. And my family would say stuff like that. And it just like reinforced like, yes, I lost weight. This is awesome. And then like that, I needed to go through that to like build up my relationship with food again and to like become a better version of myself, I guess. But I like really went close to like eating disorder territory there. And it like, that scares me. Like I could have been so much worse off, you know? What ultimately took you out of that? Because, I mean, you were saying that it, it was self-reinforcing and also reinforcing the people around you, right? Like, if you think it's a positive thing and everyone else around you thinks it's a positive thing, there's no real incentive for you to stop, right? Yeah, honestly, I think it was probably my food account on Instagram that ultimately sort of led me to, like, a healthier mindset about food because I was following all these accounts that were, like, talking about diet culture and like how we should not be uh like engaging in diet culture and it was just all these messages all the time about like how to love yourself and love your body and like eat without feeling guilty and things like that and like eventually I don't know these things just became ingrained in my head and I just kind of learned uh I don't know I just learned yeah no it's it's understandable and I think one of the big things that, I mean, a lot of people tend to touch on, but it tends to be very individualistic is you said that you had a negative opinion of yourself, right? And felt that you need to lose weight. So what ultimately led to that point? I mean, obviously, you know, you felt that yourself, but was it seeing the, you know, the pictures on Instagram, seeing people telling you how you should be living your life, maybe even comments outside saying like, you know, Rebecca, you need to lose weight type thing. Yeah, I did have, like, I did have some comments from people telling me I should lose weight. Um, it wasn't, like, nobody was, like, bullying me or anything about my weight. Just, like, here or there. Um, sometimes my family would, like, make comments um, just because they were concerned about me and my eating habits. Um, and then, yeah, I would, like, look in the mirror and be like, ah. Like, I don't like how I look. But I don't think it was, I mean, maybe it was the media. But I don't really associate it with the media and, like, stuff like that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. I think a lot of people tend to associate, though, just um, as a whole. Because I don't know about you, but I've, I've seen a lot of those Instagram versus reality type uh, blogs. And, my gosh, the amount of Photoshopping that goes on, the filtering. To the point where it's like, you know, if you see them off the internet, they look like a completely different person, right? Yeah. And yet we're holding ourselves to these standards that aren't even realistically obtainable without the use of uh, tools, right? Or even plastic surgery in some cases. Yeah, for sure. So it, it I, I think it does create quite a negative mindset, but I certainly uh, back you up on the idea that the comments around you definitely do make a huge difference. I mean, for yeah, me, it, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it was probably like subconsciously the media had played a part. I just don't remember it specifically. Yeah, and I mean, that's completely fair. I mean, for me, it came down to I was always pretty skinny in my life up until maybe around grade eight or something where I I have had I, all my life. I've had pretty crappy eating habits like 
It was never a type of thing where it's like, oh, I'll have a bowl of chips. It's always a bag. Like, you give me a bag of Sweet Chili Heat Doritos, that'll be gone in, like, in 10 minutes. And, hey, I'm uh, with you. <laughs> I'll do that, too. Okay, well, you know what? Back in grade 8, I was probably about, like, 120 or something, and I got really obsessed with, you tried crispers, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. All dressed crispers might have been like the ultimate nectar to me at that point. Uh, so I think it was like Sobeys or Giant Tiger or something. They were selling them for a bucket bag. I remember going in and buying like 40 at a time. <laughs> oh my God. I ate like, I think 20, no, sorry, not 20 bags a day, like two bags a day or something at the height. I gained a lot of weight and I kind of continued through high school, kind of back and forth, but. When I got to university, that's when it really made the difference because I thought I was fine. Um, I was going to the gym. I was still eating, I mean, fruits and vegetables and stuff, but I, uh, I, I always thought I was fine. I think I was probably around like 180 at the time or something. And I literally just had a friend I made. He made a comment. He was like, dude, you know, you're kind of a bit chubby. And that honestly set me off for <laughs> the next, like, I think year or something. Like I ended up doing a uh, pool bet there with a buddy there saying like, okay, you know, the loser can't uh, eat junk food for the next month or whatever. And that was also incentive for me, right? I lost and it's like, all right, cool. Now I'm stuck with this. I wouldn't go back on something like that. So like oh my you, gosh. like, like you kind of set up the rules and I was like, you know, okay, I can't eat junk food. Um, I can't, I have to sit there and work out every day. I have to do this. I can't go over Like it got to the point where I had two meals a day. It was like a scoop, like a couple scoops of rice and whatever they'd serve in the cafeteria. So it might be like roasted chickpeas or something on top. And realistically, it probably came out to about like 1200 calories plus a gym workout probably took me down to like 800 calories a day. I think I lost like 50 pounds over like eight months or something just with that. Holy and wow. I, yeah. I mean, I, I took myself down from 182 to, I think, 134, and I still felt like I needed to lose weight. I wanted to get down to, I think, 120. And ironically enough, I mean, I, I had a different experience than you. My parents said, you know, like, you should stop losing weight. Like, you know, you need a bit of uh, meat on the bones, right? And I just felt like, no, you know what? The lower the number, the better it is, right? Oh, my gosh. And wow. Hey, that's just what it is, right? And I mean, I guess at one point I just kind of realized that, yeah, you know what? Maybe uh, I shouldn't go down to 120. And I kind of got myself back up. But um, yeah, I mean, it really taught me like, you know, I look back at photos like that and I think, you know what? Well, you know what? I would definitely like to be like, you know, 140, 150 again. But going down to like 120, just, oh, that not maybe not eating, uh, not like eating disorder territory, but it's certainly a lot lower than I would ever want it. So I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really sorry you went through that. That sounds like horrible. Actually, weirdly enough, it was satisfying. Like you were saying, right? Um, just seeing the pounds like come off it. I mean, it got really obsessive. I mean, you talked about the idea of, you know, throwing up, going to bed hungry. I mean, I didn't have that, but I know like, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the little like hummus packs with a bit of crackers in them. Yes. Like I, I distinctly remember the one day I was like really hungry after the gym. I did a huge workout and I was like, I really need something to eat. And I bought one of those and I got so guilty because it was like an extra 200 calories. And I was like, I can't do this again. And I just every day I'd be like kind of obsessively looking at yourself in the mirror, right? Making sure you're not gaining weight. So oh. it's, 
it felt rewarding, but when you look back on it, I mean, it wasn't really a healthy frame of mind. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, there's definitely some value there and kind of going through it and knowing uh, what not to do for next time. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, if you had to make recommendations for people going forward, what, I mean, I know they can look at your food blog for sure, which you will be plugging at the end. Um, but what are your kind of recommendations for someone who kind of wants to go down the same path? Okay, it's so hard because everyone's different and everyone needs a different recommendation or advice. And I'm not a nutritionist in any way. <laughs> just want to say that. Um, and I don't want to give someone advice that ultimately leads them to get an eating disorder. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I have two pieces of advice that I feel like are pretty safe for like, I don't know, maybe rebuilding your relationship with food or just like trying to live a healthier lifestyle. Okay. Number one, moving away from the idea of healthy versus unhealthy foods. Food is food. All food has nutrients. All food has sustenance. Some is like better for you than others, but food is food. And for me, that was a really important part of like moving away from food guilt. Um, so yeah, that's number one. Number two is rather than taking things away from your diet, like diet culture says, don't eat this, don't eat that add things into your diet. Like for example, start having water with every meal or start having breakfast every day or like start having lunch and dinner every day. You know, adding things in that are healthy to your routine because you need to like teach yourself how to live a healthy life. It's not gonna happen overnight. You have to build habits that are gonna get you where you wanna be. So in regards to that, what's, are, are we looking at like a baseline when it comes to adding stuff in? Like, what do you imagine being the point where it's like, okay, we're starting here and this is where we're adding in type thing, right? Like, I, 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 imagine, I, I imagine you're not looking at like, you know, a super size me diet and then adding stuff in. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you have to look at your life and your diet and like, think about what you need. Like, I don't know. If I think about myself in high school, having water with every meal would have been good. Actually, having meals just in general <laughs> would have been good. I didn't really eat meals. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I think what you're touching on there is definitely like, you know, healthy habits. And I think almost maybe even substitution might be key, right? Like I know as, as dumb as it sounds, it's, you know, the idea of, well, swap out that side of fries for, you know, like a baked potato or a side of veggies, right? Yeah. Like to this day, I, uh, actually funny enough, a few days ago, I was saving myself up. I was, you know, eating super healthy and I was going to reward myself with a kind of a poutine, had a favorite vegan restaurant of mine, Boom Burger, of course. Oh yeah. And uh, after that, I, I just went off the rails. I think I had about four days of just like super unhealthy eating, like whole frozen pizza, bag of chips, like stuff like that. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I know, I know you said you recommend doing the whole um, like adding in and not limiting yourself, but I feel like I'm the other way. I mean, you said before, like you know, you know the idea of not being able <laughs> to stop at one bowl, like you know, sweet chili heat Doritos. Are you at are you at the point of rebuilding your relationship where you can moderate yourself in that way now? Yeah, I can moderate myself, but like I don't have to. You know, like I'm at the point where I can eat an entire bag of sweet chili heat Doritos and not feel like guilty about it later and not like
binge eat afterwards. Like, you know what I mean? It's all good. So is there like a certain goal in mind then you have that you have then? Because yeah, I guess I mean if you're, I don't know, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Because I mean, I, technically, I guess at this point, if you're just trying to rebuild a healthy relationship with food, then there's no real rules to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any current goals. Like, I think I'm good where I am. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so are you still in kind of a state of, like, moderation then when it comes to everything? Like, you're not eating, you know, a bag of sweet chili heat Doritos every day, right? Yeah. Well, okay, this is a good thing. Everything in moderation, even moderation, you know? I can't say I've ever heard that saying before. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> know where I heard it, but I think I heard it somewhere obviously but yeah it's just saying like everybody knows everything in moderation but sometimes you don't have to have everything in moderation sometimes you can have that whole bag of chips just let yeah. yourself live no I, I, I certainly support that i mean for myself i you know what i, I think you've set up a good basis for how to uh, i guess re-enter your relationship with the food um for me as someone who's actually trying to go through this again with uh, weight loss I think, I don't know, weirdly enough, I would do it the same way. I would not advocate for, you know, uh, I, I certainly would not go back to eating 800 calories a day. I think that's uh, very, very unhealthy. And you're not getting the nutrients and stuff you need, right? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to, you know, if you're in a position where you're trying to lose weight, I mean, for me, the black and white approach is the approach that works for me. In regard, irregardless of whatever diet you do, whatever exercise routine you try and do, it's always calories in, calories out. You've got to, you know, take in less calories than you burn off, right? Mm -hmm. So for most people that ends up being, I think about 1500 calories. Uh, for me, I'm trying to shoot about 1200, but I am, I'm trying to keep those food rules in. I'm trying to, you know, say, you know what, we're in the pandemic, no alcohol. Like, you know, let's try and stay away from junk food, not eat that bag of chips. Which don't get me wrong, yeah. like I feel like there's a point where you can go back to it, but I feel like I'm never the uh, I've never been the best person at moderating. So, for me, just not having to deal with you know whether or not like for me, if I have the bag of chips in the house, it's getting eaten. There's no moderation. There's no like yeah, I'll have one bowl and then you know I'll save the rest of the bag for tomorrow. It's I gotta eat it now. So, I feel like for me, it's easier to not tempt myself and not even have it around, right? Yeah, there's definitely honestly. Food rules do work, like, they work, <laughs> and they're good. I mean, yeah, they work for losing, and, um, I have, like, I agree, cutting out alcohol, really good. Also, cutting out, like, soda, pop, juice, that kind of thing, really easy ways to, like, cut down on calories. I'm just, like, I don't want to give someone bad advice, <laughs> and then they're, like, ah, uh, now I have an eating disorder, thanks a lot, you know? <laughs> All thanks to Rebecca Pottage. But, yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't think there's worrying about that. I mean, our opinions are, are, oh my gosh, this is really a disclaimer. Our opinions are your own and should not be constituted as real medical advice and, you know, all <laughs> that jazz. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I personally, going forward, I think I am going to have certain rules. Like, even when I'm past that, you know, phase where I'm trying to lose weight, I think, in general, going through a bag of chips just isn't a healthy thing. I think going through, you know... I don't know, like going to McDonald's and having 20 nuggets and two large fries never needs to happen again. Um, 
but uh, I don't know. I, I certainly think it shouldn't be that restrictive. Like, you know, it shouldn't be, uh, I'll never eat at a fast food restaurant again, or, you know, I'll, I'll never have a drink again in my life. But I just think in general, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, no one, uh, if you enjoy soda, yeah, have an occasional soda. But for me, I think, you know what, soda just, it's been proven to be like, you know, super bad for you. And I mean, of course, you know, there's a point where it's like, you know, you got to live, but there's also a point where it's like, I consider my longevity. And I think like, is soda really going to help me live to 101, become a <laughs> centurion or whatever? Yeah. So I think in general there's, and there's substitutions, right? Like, I mean, a lot of the craze we're seeing now is stuff like uh, sparkling soda water, right? Like bubbly and you know, all the other brands, right? Like instead of having a pop, you have a lemon water. And I mean, for a lot of people, it does the same thing, right? Yeah. Have you ever kind of had any of those substitutions, like going from like pop to bubbly or? No, I don't really like pop or like anything. I like, I just like water, like, you know? So what's your, wait, are you one of those water people? Do you not drink anything else but water? Oh no. <laughs> Not really. I'm I mostly drink water. Like sometimes I'll have like an iced tea or something if I'm like out for dinner or something, but like mostly I just drink water. What about uh coffee? Oh yeah, I love coffee. Okay. Coffee doesn't go. count, man. <laughs> what do you mean coffee doesn't count? Coffee can kill you. I mean <laughs> well in in serious amounts. Like, I remember reading they were doing a psych study on like a, if you were if you were in you weren't in, uh, like, grade 12 biology, were you? No. At our school, we all did our own uh, experiments. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the idea of having, like, a science fair or whatever in middle school. I remember for us, it was always, like, everyone, like, every second person or, like, at least half the class did, like, Diet Coke and Mentos, like, that reaction or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys have any type of science fair? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So for us in, uh, you know, the end of high school, we had to do an experiment for biology. And a lot of people tended to do like different uh, physical tests uh, with basically the control condition with caffeine. So obviously this has been done outside of the high school. And uh, there was a study that they did where they accidentally gave them like, I think 50, no, it was like, it was supposed to be like 50 milligrams of caffeine. They did like 0.50 of a gram or like 50 grams or something. And it sent people into like, not seizures or whatever, but they were hyped up. They, uh, feeling like weak or whatever. So you know, there definitely be too much caffeine. That's for sure. Yeah. I have like one cup of coffee a day max. Otherwise I just get like anxious and shaky and it's like the worst feeling ever. So. Okay. I mean, one cup's not bad. I mean, a lot of people, uh, I mean, for me, when I drink coffee, it tends to be like five cups a day. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know how people drink five cups of anything a day. That's crazy. I think it comes with the heritage, part finish, and my, uh, I think my grandfather used to drink like 15 cups of coffee a day or something. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how you do that, but I think it, I think it also depends on what you're taking in it, right? Because I tend to do black. I tend to drink it more like water. I take it you probably put like cream or sugar. No, do you? No, I, I, it depends on the mood. I'll put like almond milk or something in it sometimes. Other times I drink it black. I don't ever put sugar in it. I don't know. I just don't like it too sugary. 
Did you ever, did you start putting sugar in it? Because I feel like oh, the yeah. way the way I've seen it is people go like double, double, triple, triple. And then as they go along, they do less and less until they go black one of these days. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. <laughs> hey, it's not bad. I mean, for me, I just couldn't have milk in general. So I think I put like two sugar cubes in my first couple cups and then just said, screw it. I'm drinking it black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in general, I mean... I definitely support coffee. Although, if you're looking for a coffee substitute, I definitely try uh, Dandy Blend. It's fantastic. It's kind of like no caffeine, uh, herbal type. It's not a tea. It's uh, made from dandelions, and it tastes kind of just like coffee. And you drink as much as you want. It's like seven calories a cup or something. So, well. I'd try it out if I were you. <laughs> Maybe add uh, more diversity to your drink portfolio. <laughs> Sounds like, I don't know, sounds healthy. Yeah, we'll see. Who knows? I mean, there's probably no long-term research on anything like that, right? Yeah. Now, in talking about uh, the diet culture and everything, and I mean, I mentioned the idea of centarian, um, you wanted me to watch <laughs> Zac Efron's new show on Netflix, Down to Earth. Uh, I, I still... I, I've seen that on Netflix, just, you know, in the menus when I was looking for a show. And I never thought at any point I would be touching that. But uh, you definitely want to talk about it for the podcast. So I gave you a little bit of a watch. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what was your initial impressions? Like, what got you into it? Did you, like, you know, see a shirtless Zach Efron and think, man, I've got to watch that? No, no, no. I saw shirtless Zach Efron and I was like, oh my God. I don't want to watch that. That looks horrible. I don't want to watch a celebrity with all his money travel around the world. That seems stupid. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> but then my friend told me, she recommended it to me. She said it's really good. She said it's about sustainability and the environment. And I'm really into that kind of thing. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll try it. Oh my gosh, I love it. It is not Zac Efron with his shirt off. Like It's about, I, it's so much more than that. It's awesome. So you've seen uh, every episode, right? Yeah. What was your particular favorite? Oh, that's a really hard question. I I really liked the first one, which is um, about Iceland. I thought it was a good episode. What do you kind of learn in that? Because, I mean, they, they all have different topics. I mean, I've only seen the one episode, which was, I think, Sardinia. Uh, more yeah. touched on kind of the secret to long uh, life and aging and stuff. But what did the uh, Iceland thing talk about? Um, I can't remember exactly, but I know that it talked about sustainability practices in Iceland. And um, it was just really cool. And what I remember most about the episode, to be honest, is that I thought it was really funny. There were like several parts <laughs> where I was laughing out loud just from like watching Zac Efron. I don't know. He was he was a funny guy in that episode. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. For me, I thought it was a decent show. Um, the the topic of the episode was rather interesting. Just the idea of you know like live, like we're all trying to see how long we can live, right? Like you know the idea of getting to a hundred, a hundred and ten, even a hundred and twenty in some cases. And I mean, everyone has so many different perspectives on you know how we should be doing it, uh, what diet to have, you know. You know, do you eat an egg every day? Do you sit on there and go on a walk every day? Do you do like a juice cleanse every year, right? Um, but for that, I, th I thought it was interesting to see the concept of a blue zone and how, you know, like 
they actually chart out the territories where the the most uh, centurions have lived, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very interesting, and then I thought it was interesting just they tend to tend to. It seemed like they went through quite a different thing, uh, like quite a few different things in the episode. Like they did an interview of you know someone and showing their cognitive abilities. They showed um, their diets and stuff like that. Their kind of their lifestyle, and then they did a couple of. Uh, explanations as to why this might be whether it be like a genetic variation or just kind of how they lived on the island right yeah so i mean it it really it kind of opened my eyes i don't think it's the most amazing show i mean i think it's uh i I think the best way to describe it is consumable like they almost try and give a storyline to it like i remember they they interviewed the guy i'm like hey what do you do and they went on a walk and took him to a bar or something and He's like, this is the secret to my long life, you know, a shot of whiskey a day or, you know, something like that. And it's like, okay, so a little bit sensationalized, but uh, the thought is definitely there. And I think the uh, best thing it really does is it probably opens up a lot of people to the conversation. Yeah. Because, I mean, not a, not a lot of people are concerned with, uh, you know, healthy eating or, you know, staying fit or even uh, climate change in general, which has been really trampled over. <laughs> so... I think that's what it does really good. Um, do you have any different thoughts on that? Like, what do you, what do you think is the ideal watcher for the show, and what do you think most people kind of get out of it? Ah, uh, good question. I I don't know who the ideal watcher for the show is. I guess someone who's already kind of interested in sustainability in the world and the environment. Um, but even if you're not, like, it's I thought it was such an interesting show to learn about how other cultures. Um, sort of approach climate change and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was really awesome. <laughs> Did any of them kind of resonate with you in regards to the locations? Because, I mean, I saw I saw the episode, and I, I'm, I really hate saying stuff like this because, I mean, I think a lot of people see a little bit of a location and say, you know, I'd love to live there. I'd love the lifestyle there. But they really don't see all the pros and cons. But... I honestly see my ideal uh, living scenario in a place like uh, Sardinia, just in regards to, seems like more of a closer culture type thing, seems a lot more laid back, and, you know, it doesn't seem to be as a uh, go-getter as it seems like a lot of uh, our areas here down in Canada and, you know, down in the U.S., of course, right? Do you kind of have, like, an ideal location that you might have seen on the show or really anywhere where you want to move? <laughs> Yeah, but one of the places that stood out to me was France. Um, in France, they had, I think it was France, they had, like, water fountains everywhere, like, on the streets. Like, they just had free water everywhere. And it was, like, it was really cool because I was like, what? There's a water fountain just randomly <laughs> on the road? On the road? Like, you know, imagine... Imagine a water fountain downtown where we live. Like, that's just random. Yeah, I'd say so. But I feel like that'd yeah. be fantastic for, like, the homeless population and stuff like that as well, yeah. right? Yeah. I, th- I think there's certainly value in looking at the way different people live and how, you know, you can kind of improve your own situation and stuff like that, right? Because everyone has their own perspective on, you know, what's the healthiest diet and, you know, what the healthiest regimen and living style is. Um, what is something that you've seen from the show that you'd want to take almost into your own life? I mean, obviously, you know, you'd love to have water fountains around everywhere, but 
unless you're uh, dedicated to doing that, I don't think you'll end up setting up uh, water fountains on every street. But is there anything you found that you might be able to take into your own life that you learned from the show? Um, not in my own individual life, I don't think. I don't recall. Um, but it just... The show really opened my eyes about how behind Canada is in terms of sustainability initiatives. Like, the rest of the world seems like they're so much more advanced than we are. Oh, yeah. I think you're uh, definitely right on that for sure. Do What do you think that is, though? Do you think that's just lack of concern for it? I think it might be like kind of like focus on the economy versus, you know, the climate itself. Like, I, I think I did write, I, don't quote me on this. I feel like I read a statistic somewhere that said we were actually the most uh, uh, wasteful when it came to water. Like we used like 30 times the national or international average or something for water. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why Canada would be so far behind everyone else. Um, I'm not an expert or anything, but I wonder if it has anything to do with our population size. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, our our population is a whole lot smaller than somewhere like America, right? Like, we got, like, 30 million people versus, God, what, 200 yeah. million people or something? <laughs> I don't think the U.S. is one of those countries that are, like, far ahead. Like, I think they're also oh, yeah, pretty they're, behind. I mean, they're probably lacking as well, but clearly they're uh, less wasteful than us on water. And, I mean, like, something that really stood out for me was when I went over to Finland um for them their water intake at least for like showering or something i was like okay you rinse yourself off you turn the shower off you put on your soap your shampoo you rinse yourself off again that's the end of your shower there's no you know sitting there for 15 minutes singing some taylor swift while you know the hot water is going over your hair or anything so yeah you know what as fun as it might be we might uh, be really living a wasteful lifestyle in some ways for sure yeah for sure I can buy that, yeah. I think for me, one of the biggest things that that uh, Zac Efron uh, Down to Earth episode really brought to me was just kind of questioning, like, we're, we're all really chasing the idea of, I don't know about you, but for me, I think my ideal, um, at least my desire is to live to like 101, because being, you know, born in 99, that would mean technically you've been alive in three centuries, which, oh. I mean, you know. <laughs> doesn't mean it doesn't mean a lot it's kind of more of a funny trivia point than anything but i think that's kind of ideal but um you look at a lot of what you see right like you know there's a lot of issues nowadays when it comes to you know elders like elderly individuals not really getting the you know social support they need or you know just kind of unhappiness due to you know some types of you know uh diseases conditions stuff like that and i mean you know for some people they really flourish like you know those years of retirement are some of the best years of their lives because, you know, they make the best of it. And some people almost kind of like whittle away. So mm -hmm. in your opinion, like I, I've never asked you this, but what do you think is ideal? Like, is it best to try and, you know, try and get to that 110 and, you know, maybe not be able to get out of bed at that point? Or is it better to kind of live a satisfying life up to like 80 or something? Yeah, no, I think live your life to the fullest every day. Like, yeah, definitely. Just live a good life until you're 80. <laughs> really? That's good enough. Okay. Yeah. Because that, that creates an interesting question then. Because, I mean, like, 
what if living life to the fullest is, you know, clubbing every day and, you know, clubbing every day, maybe smoking a pack of cigarettes. I mean, I mean, those are like extreme examples, of course, but I feel like, you know, living life to the fullest is making concessions where you wouldn't otherwise do it, right? Okay, yeah, that's fair. I guess uh, for me, living life to the fullest <laughs> involves like eating healthy and running every day. So I don't hey. know. You know what, if that's living life to the fullest for you, that's definitely going to be like 11 to 110 and, you know, still being able to play jump rope or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think live your life, like, be good to yourself, be good to your body, so that when you're 80, you can still walk around and, like, do oh, yeah. things. You're not, like, crippled. I would support that because, I mean, that's that's my biggest fear. I mean, like, right now at this point, I already have kind of... Uh, I'd say undiagnosed arthritis, but I have some type of hand problem. And I think like, oh my gosh, if I don't treat myself right now, like, am I even going to have hands when I'm 80, (laughs) 60 years down the line? Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, I mean, you, you sound like someone who really believes in that idea. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people who do, but you know, I've, I've seen threads before where, you know, I think it's like 20 year olds or 18 year olds asking like 40 and 50 year olds, like, how would you live your 20s differently if you had to go back and change it? And a lot of people say, like, you know, you need to take care of your body. Don't, you know, party every night. Don't. I mean, a lot of it is financial as well. But a lot of people talk about their health saying that, you know what, like some of my friends, they decide to get healthy in their 20s and they're still thriving in their 50s, almost like they're still 20. But then themselves are like, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm 80 already. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of your, uh, a lot of your life, it seems like, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, really think that, you know, oh, I can worry about the health thing later. Oh, I can worry about doing this later. Like right now, you know, I'm living life to the fullest and I'm thinking of, you know, what I can do in the moment. But I think, uh, the right perspective, at least in my opinion, might just be, you know, seeing what you can do now to help yourself out later. Kind of forward thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, we uh, we do have confirmation in the chat here. Uh, Canada is the top household water consumer, mainly showers and other bathroom uses, interestingly. And that comes from uh, Mr. Jacob Prattley. You know what? That reminds me. We I just listened to a podcast the other day on toilet paper, which is really weird, but I did. <laughs> and toilet paper, like, uses so much water because every time we, like, flush the toilet... Oh, wait. No, this it. Sorry. What? Just pretend I didn't say that. Um, toilet paper uses a lot of water because it takes a lot of water to make. Like, it's really water consumption heavy to, like, manufacture. But in, like, Europe or other places around the world, they use, like, bidets, which apparently use way less water. And that's what we should be doing here. So are you, are you willing to give up your toilet paper rights and go team bidet then? Yeah, honestly, I am. <sighs> Oh, I don't know about that. I, I have never personally tried it. I know, uh, I've heard some people who say, like, once you try it, you never go back. But to me, it's yeah. just... Yeah. Oh. Well, if you think about it, it's kind of gross to wipe yourself with dry piece of paper or whatever. Like, when you could be using water instead. It's much more hygienic, apparently, they say. Uh, they said... <laughs> Disclaimer. The podcast said. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Just is is there not potential for like, you know, for the water to hit the ceiling or anything? Like 
I yeah, I'm sure they they've dealt with the the issues, logistics of it. Yeah. I I'd be curious to see, you know, maybe in the future I'll interview like a bidet uh, customer support services individual. Be interesting to see what they what kind of complaints they get and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so going along with uh, kind of the topic of sustainability and stuff, you have kind of had a swap in like a change in perspective in what you want to do later in life. Cause yeah. You're what like three four years into your degree currently. Yeah, so it's a five-year program, so I am I have one more year to go in marketing. That's what I'm in. Now, when you came out of high school, what were you thinking? I was thinking business, probably marketing, something creative. Yeah. And what what ultimately kind of led to that point? Like, you know, was it, oh, you know, my parents do marketing, this looks like fun, or I want to be creative, or like what, what ultimately led you to that point of I want to do marketing? Yeah, like I knew I liked business. I liked the business classes at school and I didn't really know why. I wasn't sure what about it interests me. Um, And then I knew that I liked being creative and I liked thinking of random business ideas and uh, I don't know, that kind of thing. So I just thought marketing would be a good degree because you got to be creative in marketing. So yeah, it was a good choice. I love my program. Fun. But you said before that you might not actually continue with marketing after you get your degree. You might want to do something else. Yeah. So like, even though I love my degree and it's really fun, um, I kind of want to do something more meaningful with my life than marketing. Um, And so I'm hoping to pursue sustainable business um, for my master's program, which is like a master's of science. Um, And like, climate change because they have the resources to do so and so eventually i'd like to help businesses become more environmentally and socially sustainable through things like introducing led lighting motion motion sensor technology recyclable packaging and things like that um and what's really interesting about this whole concept is that when businesses adopt sustainable practices like this they end up reducing costs in the long run so it's like a win-win situation not bad and I mean, like, all of this is kind of stemmed from your uh, food blog passion then, right? Yeah. Is this something you, you, you said you're happy with your degree. Is this something that you wish you knew coming out of high school? Or are you kind of happy with the way it kind of presented itself through, you know, learning about it in like, you know, the third or second year of your initial degree? Yeah, I don't think it would have made a difference if I had known this um, straight out of high school, because I still would have wanted to get a business degree, um, in order to pursue this later on. Yeah. There's not a lot of uh, influence in high school for degrees like that, right? Like environmentally, is there, is there even any uh, classes that tackle those topics or do they? No, tend- not at all. Like I didn't know this existed like until like fourth year university. Like I'm, you can go into science after high school and do like an environmental program and that's great. But like for someone like me, who's not super great at science, like, that's not really an option. So, like, this business approach to to environmentalism, like, fit perfect, and I didn't know that existed at all until, like, last year. I mean, it's certainly wonderful to find something that, you know, first of all, combines your passion as, you know, everyone's looking for in a job, right? And then, I mean, secondly, like, you found a way where, you know, your talents can be useful to the field, right? So that's 
beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that is understated nowadays because, I mean, you know, a lot of people think like, you know, if you go into psychology, you're going to go become a clinical psychologist. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of other things you can do within the field. You'd be like, you know, a social uh, social worker kind of case manager type setup. You work in like kind of the policy behind everything. Like there's a lot of options that I feel like people aren't uh, aware of until you kind of do more of a deep dive on it. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, honestly, it seems really daunting in high school to be like, oh, I don't know what major to pick or whatever, what to go into. But there's so many options once you like get into that world, like, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I I think for us, like, you know, with COVID being kind of this perfect storm and almost hitting like, I guess, halfway, uh, for me, it ended up being kind of halfway through the degree. And I mean, I'm pretty sure it'll end up being like four, probably about four semesters I'll end up doing online at this point. So for you, I mean, you've done what, three semesters online, two semesters online at this point? Yeah, I think it it's three ish or like two and a half so how do you feel like covid's kind of impacted your degree then because there's a whole lot of difference between you know getting your degree in person versus doing it online right i mean it's something that people are doing beforehand but the idea that we almost have kind of a mixed degree now is interesting yeah like there's pros and cons but in general online school kind of sucks to be honest for me um yeah, like not having that social aspect of university really is a bummer. That is like one of the best things about school is seeing your friends in the library or uh, hanging out after class and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, do you like you you first of all, like for those who don't know, you've also worked as a online learning assistant for um, university, like helping professors move their courses online. And I've also done the same. So in regards to that, do you have any advice on how to kind of mitigate the situation? Maybe not from the social aspect, or maybe even if you have advice on that, but even like, you know, professors can be doing stuff to try and, I guess, bridge the gap between online learning and in-person learning. Yeah, like, okay, if I had to give advice to professors, um, just the most important thing is to be flexible with learning, like, Online school makes everything a lot harder with the internet and technical difficulties and things like that. So just having professors that are willing to give you the PowerPoint, um, like maybe not during the specific lecture time, is really great. <laughs> Do you guys still end up doing synchronous lectures? Um, yeah, I had some professors who did that, but most of them also supplied the, the um, recording afterwards. But when I worked... As like a teaching assistant, so many professors were like, I don't want to provide my slides after, like I need my <laughs> students to be in class at this specific time. And I was like, oh my God, stop. I feel like that's kind of a lack of understanding in a way too. And I mean, it's new, yeah. so it is kind of understandable in a way. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think providing the lecture slides after, I think in general, we've seen kind of an entire revamp because I mean... Nowadays, I mean, there are professors and there are schools that use the lockdown browser, which is, you know, all, all your exams are proctored. You know, you turn turn around, you look to the side of you, they think you're cheating, looking at a note on the wall or something because <laughs> you're being recorded as you're taking the exams. 
But I also think this kind of led to more of an innovation approach in education where, at least for one of my classes right now, you know, there's obviously some quiz components which make up your grades, but they're doing research papers now. They're doing like discussion board posts and trying to create more interaction among students. So in a way, I feel like online school has brought maybe some diversity to uh, maybe even a rather shallow system beforehand. Yeah, that's a good point. My school still uses Lockdown Browser, I think. Oh. So I don't know. Maybe they're getting rid of it this year, but I had it in my last semester. Honestly, I cannot imagine using Lockdown Browser, having to like show my entire room, having to like sit there with my hands, you know, in the same place. Like yeah. that, that that's a little too much for me. <laughs> well, Nick, there are ways to get around it. I'll just say that. <sighs> Any. Ch- any tips for uh, breaching ac- academic integrity? <laughs> no, I can't say that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Um, I haven't actually had to deal with that issue, though, because their school just doesn't use lockdown browser straight up, so I definitely appreciate that, because, I mean, not even from people trying to cheat, like, you know, honestly, you should try and keep as much integrity as you would in the classroom, but I don't know, I just feel like there's a lack of freedom in that regard. Um, but, yeah. I think for me, a lot of uh, the online school, in a way, I think it made it easier, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of pros for sure. I know you mentioned the technical difficulty aspect, but now it's a case of you don't even have to go to the classroom. You can just roll out of bed like, you know, a minute before your lecture. You can, you know, sit there and, I don't know, communicate online with your uh you know, group members to come up with a project instead of having to meet at the uh, library. I mean, a lot of that's a double-edged sword. Like, we're trying to do a uh, discussion group right now, and with 16 people in there, it's so hard to set up logistics. So there are definitely issues there, and I think you are right. It really reduces the amount of friendships and stuff like that that you make. Like, I think one of the most uh, underestimated things is, I mean, you, you've been at university for what? You said this is your fourth year? Yeah. So COVID hit probably at the end of your third year then, right? Yeah. So are we looking at a future then where you could possibly, you know, have made your friends in the first two years and not seen them for the next, all the rest of your degree? Yeah, that is the situation. (laughs) Sad. How does that, you know, impact a friendship? Like, I mean, after, you know, it's the same thing with high school, right? At least in my opinion, I think when you've, you know, gone through your degree you obviously keep in contact with a lot of them but keeping in contact will be a whole lot more difficult yeah well so far we've been okay we have a group chat and you know we keep in touch and we have video calls and stuff and what makes things like easier right now is like nobody has other friends like we (laughs) only have each other we're all at home in the same situation but like after covid and after everyone graduates people are getting jobs they're making connections in the workplace and they're you know building new relationships and that's when the old ones start to fade okay so maybe uh, from what i'm getting the take-home message here is get friends who don't have other friends yeah so that they can't run away from you (laughs) yes Uh, sounds like uh some definite advice that's for sure (laughs) um i don't know i just i think in general it just it's to me, it's I think it's not the aspect of, well, I should, I can't go out, I can't hang out with them, we can't go to the bar, we can't go play soccer, whatever, and I just think it it interrupts the friendship in general. Like, for me, like, you're in co-op as well, so you probably understand what this is like, but 
for us, we swap off every four months. So, you know, you might meet someone in your class and hang out with them for the semester, but then, you know, you guys aren't on, you know, you guys aren't even living in the same place for the rest of your degree. So it was all very difficult already. And now, you know, with COVID being thrown into the mix, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot more opportunity for friendships now. So, yeah. You sound like you made a lot more friendships, like, in the classroom than I did. I, like, I have, like, never spoken to someone in my class Really? I, I honestly did not make a lot of friendships in my classroom. I feel like a lot of them were, there'd definitely be people where you knew them for another class, you'd sit with them, you'd talk with them, but, I mean, after class, it's not like you guys would hang out after. I don't know about you, but for me, my biggest friend maker ended up being residents. Yeah, no, me too, for sure. No, I take it you'd uh, recommend it to any type of, you know, student going to university living residence then? Yeah, honestly, first year, mm, for most people, it sucks. So, like, I'm just going to put that out there. But it is so worth it to live in residence, even if it sucks. What do you guys end up doing in first year residence? Like, did you guys uh, do, like, a lot of activities with each other as, like, a floor or something? Yeah, we did stuff like that a little bit. Did that help you, or was it more just kind of the authentic aspect of it? Like, yeah, no, it's just the authentic aspect of it, really. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree, because I've been on both sides. I've been, you know, the person trying to organize those activities, and I've been the person attending them. And in both cases, I mean, it. if, if there's a solid group on the floor, you'll typically get a lot of people out. But in general, you're, I don't know, sometimes trying to force, you know, people who aren't very like-minded to hang out with each other. So I think the organic yeah. aspect of it, hey, you know what, there's a lot of people in residence, you'll make some type of friend is probably the approach to go with. Yeah. So, no, I, I certainly agree with you. I think residence is such a positive experience. And I mean, you know what, I, I think it's very costly. It's certainly uh, not the cheap option, but I think you make a lot of friends that you wouldn't have made outside of that, right? Yeah. 100% worth it, like, made my university experience. Just out of curiosity, how many of your friends are in your same program? Um, uh, like, one. Okay, so, I mean, that's evidence enough, right? Like, if you didn't uh, meet them in residence, you might have not met them at all. <laughs> yeah, actually, the one girl who's in my program, who's who I'm friends with, I actually met her through work at Shoppers Drug Mart, so I didn't even meet her through residence. Yeah, no, that's fair too. Yeah, I do have to ask actually in regards to that because I've always felt this is the way, but I feel like a lot of people, if they're coming out of high school and they're going to university and they don't, you know, think they'll make a lot of friends, they'll tend to try and hang out with the people that they've known from high school, whether or not they were like good friends with them, knew them at all, or, you know, were just acquaintances, right? Yeah. Like, did, did you find yourself trying to hang out with the people that you knew were, you know, coming from high school into the same university? Yeah, for sure I did. Especially because, like, first year was hard. Like, you were away from home for the first time and all, you, like, all your friends that you had in high school are just gone. Like, you have no <laughs> friends all of a sudden. And so it was really comforting to be able to hang out with people from my high school and be like, and just talk about high school things. It felt normal in some sense of, like... Um, like it was just comforting. Yeah, kind of, kind of like what you know, right? Yeah. But I, I would have to congratulate you because I felt like you've kind of got the best of both worlds. Like you kept a lot of contact with people from high school, but at the same time, you kind of, 
expanded your social circle almost to, you know, incorporate kind of new connections, right? Yeah, like honestly, in first year, I I was like, I just want to hang out with these people from high school. Like, I'm so scared and lonely. Like, this is fine. <laughs> but this one girl on my floor, she was like so persistent. She was like, let's be friends. Let's be friends. And I was like, okay. And now we're so close. Like, she, thank God for her, you know? <laughs> Sometimes it just takes the one person, right? Yeah. Like, I think, uh, me personally, I definitely think there's there's no shame in having some type of comfort in that. Like, if you know someone from your high school going to the same university, even rooming with them, not a bad idea. But I certainly think you, you can't just hang out with that one person. Like there, there are some people I've seen that they knew each other from high school and they only hang out with themselves. And then they come out first year spending 10 grand on residence and they didn't even meet anyone else to show for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, definitely a good piece of advice is like to try and make friends in first year, even though it's hard. Yeah, definitely agree on that. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, I really got a better perspective on you know, sustainability, what the Green Bee Food Blog does, and kind of your diets and what's kind of led to it, right? Because I think it's, it's yeah. such an under-talked about topic. You know, you kind of get the food nuts and, you know, the healthy fitness individuals who tend to, you know, really tunnel vision in on it. But I think the general population still doesn't talk about healthy eating as much as they need to. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> Do you have any type of uh, shout outs you'd like to make beforehand or any like take yes. home messages, any advice, really whatever you want? Um, well, I hope everything I said was clear and like made sense. I hope nobody was like, what are you talking about? But um, I do want to shout out Parisian Nuts on Instagram. That's my favorite food account. My childhood best friend. Follow Parisian Nuts. Now, where can everyone find you? Because we mentioned the name of the food blog, but I don't think we've given much of a link or even what platform it was on. Yeah, so I I uh, use my Instagram a lot. So the green bean underscore food blog, that's my Instagram handle. And then I have a blog like a website um thegreenbean.org that's like where i post recipes and longer form blog articles okay and uh any kind of sneak peeks on what might be coming up soon on the blog um wow great question i'm doing a current like series on like um how healthy is your how healthy and how safe is your personal care products like what you put on your face um so if you're interested in that i have an ongoing series happening on my instagram and on my blog Woo-hoo. so if yeah. you guys are interested in that that's definitely something to catch up on how many uh, posts have you made so far on that one? Oh, maybe four or five all right so you guys better get reading then uh yeah outside of that like i said uh thanks for coming on uh, as you guys know, if you listened to a previous episode, we do this every other Friday at 8 p.m. EST at twitch.tv slash nfgraves. Uh, if you want to listen to it after the fact, uh, it's posted literally anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, anchor.fm, um, Spotify, iTunes, literally whatever, guys, you can find it. Um, go to anchor.fm slash gravescast if you want the list of links where you can find it. And if you want to leave a voicemail for, you know, recommended guests, uh, recommended topics, really any advice that you guys have. So 
Uh, on top of that, rate us five stars on iTunes or leave a review. <laughs> and that's about it. So in a couple of weeks, we will have a new guest. We're still ironing out the... Um, Iron out the uh, guest list for sure, but should be an interesting one if uh, we can get everything to work out. So thank you for joining me, Rebecca. Everyone check out the uh, Green Bean Food blog, and we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. See you later.